That's two services in a row, so let's, here we go. Um, hey, I'm going to dive in with a quick story this morning, and this is going to be one of those stories that's not a, uh, like, it's not going to be a feel-good. It's not going to be a let's start out the morning with this pastor coming up telling us a funny story. So um, this could be a story that could really hit you in the heart, and, and maybe you've experienced something like what we're going to hear about, and, um, and, it, and it may be tough, and it might get at your gut, it might get at your heart. So um, just want to throw that out there before we start. Uh, Terry Crews is a retired British naval officer, and he recently wrote this letter to his three children. He said, Dear all three, last evening brought more rotten news for which you seem to treat your mother like a cesspit. I feel it's time to come off my perch. It's obvious that none of you has the faintest notion of the bitter disappointment that each of you has in your own way dished out to us. We are constantly entertained with happy news and the successful lives of the family, friends, and relatives that we have. I wonder if you realize how we feel, that we have nothing to say which reflects any credit on you or us. Having done our best to provide for our children, we naturally hope to see them in turn take up their own banners and provide happy and stable homes for their own children. Fulfilling careers based on your education would have helped, but none of you is what I would confidently term properly self-supporting. Each of you is well able to earn a comfortable living, yet each of you has contrived to avoid even moderate achievement. Far from your children being able to rely on your provision, they are faced with needing to survive their introduction to life with you as parents. I can tell you that I, for one, and I sense mom feels the same, have had enough of being forced to live through the never-ending bad dream of our children's underachievement and domestic ineptitudes. I want to hear no more from any of you until you have a success or an achievement or a realistic plan for the support and happiness of your children to tell me about. I don't want to see your mother burdened anymore with your miserable woes, so I ask you to spare her further unhappiness. If you think I've been unfair in what I have said, by all means, please try to persuade me to change my mind, but you won't do it by simply whining and saying that you don't like it. You'll have to come up with meaty reasons to demolish my points and build a case for yourself. If that isn't possible or you simply can't be bothered, then I rest my case. I am bitterly, bitterly disappointed in you, Dad. Today we're going to continue our series called Things Jesus Never Said. And the phrase that we're going to look at this week is, I am disappointed in you. So that, that idea saying that, that Jesus and God has never said to us that he is disappointed in us. I'm sure some of us in, in this room can imagine receiving a letter like that from a parent or have received a letter like that from a parent. And it, it has to be devastating. It has to be um, so hurtful. Have you ever felt that the way God looks at you is similar to the way that that dad was looking at his kids with just complete disgust? What does disappointment look like for you? For many of us, disappointment is much more than the feeling of letting down a parent that definitely is true, but what is worse oftentimes than letting down a parent is this idea of feeling like we have left, let down God. Sins, things like addiction, lust, theft, gluttony, are some of the primary ways that we feel like we have disappointed God, right? Because sin hurts people. It hurts ourselves, and it hurts the heart of God. And that hurt leaves regret and the consequences of sin that tend to that lend themselves to lots of disappointment in our lives 
and it makes it feel like we've disappointed God in some way. Sin isn't the only thing that leads to disappointment. I, I think that we, th that definitely can, can lead to that feeling, but there's things like feeling like we were in a marriage and we married someone that we shouldn't have, or feeling like we, we really failed in our education, that we dropped out of high school or we dropped out of college, and that God has something so much greater, but, but we failed and we're disappointed, and other people are disappointed in us. Um, Maybe, maybe we're in a job, we're in this dead-end job that we're just, we feel stuck in and we don't see a way out of. But either way, it's really easy to feel disappointed, right? And then what we do is we take that disappointment that we have in ourselves or others have in us, and we project that onto God. And, and we, we say that, that God must be looking at us and feeling as disappointed in us as I'm feeling in myself. We all feel that God is disappointed in us at times. For some of us, that time is today in this moment, right? For some of us, within the last 24 to 48 hours, we've committed those sins or those acts that we feel like are unforgivable. Maybe that means that you made, made love to your computer screen instead of your wife. That you're lying to your spouse or your boss at your job. And we feel like we have so epically let God down that he's looking at us like that dad in that letter looks at us. And he's looking at us saying, I am bitterly, bitterly disappointed in you. And then we feel, like what that dad says to do, that the only way to get back into God's good graces is to come up and, and re report achievement and success back to God and come up with this realistic plan of how we will do better next time. And, the, and that's what the enemy wants this morning. He wants us to get into that hole. He wants us to think when we leave here today, that we are, that he is disappointed in us. He wants us to wallow in that pain, right? John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes only to still, steal and kill and destroy. Satan wants us to believe that God is disappointed in us. He wants us to believe that, that God doesn't like us. He doesn't love us. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. So our saying today is, um, I am disappointed in you. Okay, that's the lie. Okay, that's the thing that, that maybe we think and that we believe and that we, that we project and that we think God thinks of us. Okay, but the truth today is that God has never been disappointed in you. Okay, not one single time. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to uh, dive into the Bible here in a minute. If you want to take a phone or Bible out, go into cha Luke chapter 22. We're going to start there. And then we're going to talk a little bit more after that about this idea of disappointment. In a minute, we're going to pick up this story and see an interaction between Peter and Jesus. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about Peter, learn a little bit about Peter and what he um, was like, who he was. Okay, so Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He made up that, um, the very inner circle of Jesus' friends and confidants. Peter was loud and proud, and, and he was the guy that would defend Jesus at all costs. He was the right-hand man. Peter was Jesus' armor bearer, okay? He was the one that, that if someone came to fight, he was going to start swinging the sword, right? He was going to protect Jesus, the bodyguard, the bouncer. He was that guy that he believed in himself, and people probably believed in him, that if everyone else flaked out on Jesus— and if everybody else left Jesus, that he would be the one standing. Peter would be the one standing. So let's pick up the narrative in verse 31 to 34. Um, 
And here Jesus has turned his attention to Peter, and he starts out talking to Peter. He calls him Simon. So, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So he's saying, Peter, you, something's going to happen. Satan is going to try to get a grip on you, and he's going to try to make you fail. Okay? And when you fail, um, and when you come back from that failure, when I have restored you, continue to strengthen your brothers. Continue to lead. Okay? Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. That is a bold statement made by Peter there, saying, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I bet we can all probably count on one hand the amount of people we'd either go to prison or death for, right? And Jesus follows this statement up with a very direct reply to Peter, and he says, no, you won't, Peter. No, you won't. You won't do that. Jesus knew what was going to happen, right? Nothing that Peter could say could fool him. The story continues on in Luke chapter 22, and the religious leaders come to arrest Jesus. And here's Peter again. He, he takes out his sword. He cuts off some dude's ear. And like he's, he's standing up for Jesus in this moment. And, and if you were reading Luke for the first time, you would think, man, if, if someone was going to stand by Jesus through thick and thin, this would be the guy. right? No, this would be the guy that he's not going to fail Jesus. Okay? He's gonna, he will be there through everything with him. Let's pick up in verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. Okay, so they take Jesus and they bring him um, somewhere separate than, than Peter. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he, Peter, went out and wept bitterly. If we were to come up with ways that Peter could fail, could have failed at Jesus, this would be at the top of the list, right? No doubt about it. Denying his best friend in the moment where he needed him most was the worst thing that Peter could have done. How do you think Peter felt? In that moment. Let's think about it. Let's not, let's not read through the Bible and ignore the emotion that God has sown into the story. Okay, how do you think Peter felt to have failed so miserably? He was weeping bitterly, the word told us. Try and put yourself in his shoes. Think about what it would have been like to feel if you had failed the person in your life the most important to you at that level. How devastated Peter must have been knowing that he was warned, that it was proclaimed, knowing that he would let Jesus down at the point that Jesus needed him most. One commentator says, it is debated as to have how Jesus could have been close enough to look at Peter upon this moment. The best answer is that the temple police were just then leading him from the hall of trial through the open courtyard. 
with his face contused, black and blue from the blows he had received, with spittle still defiling his countenance, Jesus looked upon Peter. No wonder that look went home. No wonder that look struck Peter at the core of his soul. Right? That Jesus had, had began receiving his beatings. That he, was, he had began this process um, progressing towards the cross where he would be crucified. And Peter is seeing the beginning of this process start to happen and, and realizing that he has, he has denied Jesus in this moment where he needed him most. It must have been horrible to be Peter in that moment. Let's flip the tables now. So we, we can imagine how Peter felt. What was that moment like for Jesus? Was he disappointed in Peter? This is the question. Was Jesus disappointed in Peter? That was Peter's greatest fear. Like many of us, our greatest fear and greatest worry is letting God down. Another commentator writes about the look Jesus gave Peter, and he says, no phrase in the Gospels is more charged with feeling than this. In that moment that Jesus looked at Peter, there was some intense feeling that was there. What was that feeling? The heart behind the look at Peter was anything but disappointment, though. That was a look of love. It was a look that said, even though you feel like a disappointment, and you feel like you disappointed me, I still love you, and I'm still going to use you. I'm going to redeem your life and use it for the good in my kingdom. Now, that may seem like conjecture. It may seem like we're putting words and feeling into a situation where words don't say it was a look of love. And in our heads, we look at that as a look of disgust. Because if we were Peter, we would expect a look of disgust from someone if we were to deny someone on that level. But that look cannot be a look of disappointment or disgust on Jesus' part. Because disappointment requires surprise. An unexpected failure to meet an expectation, right? The best example I can give is in, is in something like a marriage, okay? So I tell my wife, I say, I'm going to do this. She expects that I'm going to do something, and then I don't do that. And, and there's, there's disappointment because it was an unexpected failure, right? I said I was going to do something. She expects me to follow through on my word. And when I don't do that, she's going to be disappointed in me. This was not an unexpected failure, though, between Jesus and Peter. Jesus knew what was going to happen. For those who love big words, are this idea that we're talking about is this idea of omniscience. It's the word that we describe to, to state the fact that God knows everything. He knows the past, the present, the future. But the big word is not the point. The point is simply this, that God knows everything. And how can you disappoint someone who already knows everything about you? Right? How could Jesus have been disappointed in Peter? Because God's omniscience has profound practical implication and importance. It's not just an abstract truth, but a source of assurance, confidence, reward, and motivation. Okay? In, in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, it says, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. So God, God is, has so much more understanding than you or I do. Okay? Our minds are finite. His is infinite. He, is, he, he knows every little thing that's going to happen. So you may think, that you disappointed God by going back to that porn site, by lying to your coworker or talking behind someone's back, by arguing with your husband or your wife. But the fact is, is that God already knew what you would do. 
and it doesn't change his love for you. He went to the cross for you, already knowing exactly how you would fail, and he still went because he loves you. The reality is that I have disappointed myself a lot. I have disappointed others. I have not always come through on my promises. I have not always come through with my wife the way I wish I would have. I have not always come through at work the way I wish I would have. I can disappoint me, and I can disappoint others. The same is true of all of us, right? Every person in this room, we can disappoint ourselves, and we can disappoint other people. But the very first thing to remember in that sense of disappointment is that no matter what, I and we are not a disappointment to God. We cannot disappoint God. So how do we deal with disappointment when it comes to ourselves and others? We deal with that disappointment by knowing that Jesus died on the cross for us. And that even though we sin, he still died for us. Even though we will mess up, Jesus still died for us. Peter failed Jesus miserably. And yet Jesus offered Peter a look of love. He still gives us a look of love. And he not only does he love us despite our failings, he actually redeems our failures and uses them to accomplish his will. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that verse mentions, uh, in that verse, Paul mentions while we were still sinners. He's talking about when our moral convictions fail. When we do something that leads us to think that we have disappointed God in some way, what this is showing us is that God is never disappointed in us. That God is always rooting for us. God is always there to pick us up when we fall and to keep us going. Failure is inevitable in life. We're going to mess up and we're going to fail. And that is why Christ came. And because God knows our failures and in turn uses them to bring glory to himself and to conform us to be more in his image, then how could he possibly be disappointed in us? We started off the message this morning with that letter from that dad ex expressing that bitter disappointment to his children. The dad says that he only wants to hear from his kids when the good outweighs the bad and then ends the letter with a firm You'll have to come up with meaty reasons to demolish my points and build a case for yourself. If that isn't possible, or you simply can't be bothered, then I rest my case. I, I think we all felt the weight of that letter. We could all imagine what it would have been like to receive that letter um, from our dad. Let's compare that letter, though, to what God has to say to us. The earthly dad says, make a case for yourself. God took it upon himself to rectify us. And he says, I made your case. Or the earthly dad says, come up with reasons for me to love you. Our heavenly father says, my love for you is boundless. Isn't that great? When the earthly father says, I cannot believe what you have done. The heavenly father says, I knew what you would do. And I saved you and I love you anyways. The earthly father says, I am bitterly bitterly disappointed in you. And our God says, I love you no matter what. We have a whole book, the Bible, showing us that God's love is unending. That God wants us to be free from the letter of disappointment that the enemy is trying to write on our heart. 
So today, if you take nothing else away from this message, know this one thing, and that's that you cannot disappoint God, that you are not a disappointment to God. God made you. He formed you. He made you special. You can't disappoint him. Sin hurts the heart of God, but it never catches him off guard. And God never looks at us and says, I can't believe you just did that. And thankfully, God has made provision on the cross for our sins. So then how can we get past our own feelings of failure, disappointment, and humiliation? Because let me be the first to say that it's such a heavy load to carry, right? It's such a heavy load to feel like I'm disappointed. I'm disappointing to someone. I'm disappointing to God that, that nothing I can do will ever make me feel right in the eyes of God. The pain, the hurt, the disappointment is such a heavy load. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's read that one again. I, I love that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our sins have provision. Therefore, we can move into a future. And the most dangerous thing about disappointment is that it can lock us into a prison of thinking that things can never change or that because of what I have done, God will withhold his blessings, right? We've all been there. We've been in that moment where, where we think, why even try? Why even try to move forward and to do something different and to try to follow God because, because I can't do it. I'm just going to fail over and over and over. And when we get into that pattern, when we get into that feeling of constant and consistent failure, it can just be a prison that we get trapped in. If we look back at the Old Testament, we see Israel failing over and over. And yet God still spoke Jeremiah 29, 11 over them. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. What God is saying is that we don't have to live one second longer feeling like a disappointment. That you are not a disappointment to God, nor will you ever be. Because of Jesus, there is forgiveness for our sin. And God is not a disappointed father, but a loving father that looks at all of our lives with tremendous potential. He says to you today, follow me, and I will give you purpose to your life that you have never, ever dreamed of. And today you might be, you might be sitting here, you might be listening, and you might be feeling the Holy Spirit work in you. And you might be feeling God tugging at your heart. And you might be saying, I want that. I want to have that relationship with God and know that he loves me unconditionally no matter what happens. And I want to say that if that's you and you're in this moment and you have that feeling, please don't let that moment slip by. God wants you to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. Let's all bow our heads. Um, if that is you, if you are saying, this is that moment, I don't want to let it slip by. I want to, to have that moment and make Jesus the Lord of my life. Will you pray right along with me? Lord, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for saving me despite my sin. Lord, I put my life in your hands. Lord, I surrender to you. 
thank you for dying on the cross for me. Lord, today I acknowledge that I am not a disappointment to you. I acknowledge that you love me no matter what. And Jesus, today I declare that I will follow you the rest of my life. And Lord, I want to pray for anybody in this room who is who is following you, who is a, who's a believer, Lord, and, and following you. I want to pray that, that you meet them in this place. If that's you that is under this immense weight of disappointment, Lord, I pray that you will meet that person in this moment, that you will help them to know that they are not a disappointment, that, that there is nothing about you that is disappointed in them, or that you are proud of them, that you want the best for them, that you have a plan for them. And we thank you for that. Lord, please give us comfort and strength and courage to face the day as we move forward. And Lord, more than anything else, help us to know that no matter what we do, that we are not in any way a disappointment to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for that encouraging word. I want to encourage all of us to, like our Heavenly Father does for us, to find ways to affirm others, to find ways to speak truth into people's lives and to bust apart that, that lie that says that God is disappointed in people because he knows everything. We never catch him off guard and he loves us. Uh, also, if you made a commitment to Christ, if you opened your heart up to him for the very first time, make sure and tell somebody about that. Come up and talk to me or tell somebody next to you or a family member, uh, but be bold and don't just keep it to yourself. But one of the ways we keep growing is by declaring that and then finding ways to grow. Uh, I'm going to be over here for those that are new uh, to uh, do the first connect. So if you're first, second, third time here, want to know how to connect here at the church or how to grow spiritually, meet me over here. We'll just talk for four or five minutes. We'll go in the kitchen. If you want a cup of coffee, we'll do that. Your kids will be fine. And uh, otherwise, have a great week, everybody. There'll be people up here to pray with you.